The reading is to be found on page 1200 of the Church Bible, page 1200, the letter of Paul to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. To Aphia, our sister. To Archippus, our fellow soldier and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong, or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. 
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, God, we come to your word, your scripture, and we ask that as we look at it, you will reveal your word to us through it. We ask you will speak to us clearly in these words this morning, and we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Philemon. I wonder how many of us have read Philemon recently. I must confess, it seems good to start with confession, that I haven't for a very long time. I think most of us have a rough idea of what it is. So let us begin by examining it as a book. And it seems to me that it is unique, actually, in the canon. Not because it's so short. There are actually a couple of shorter uh, second and third epistles to John, for instance, are shorter. Uh, not because it is addressed to an individual, uh, although it is mainly. After all, the Timothy letters are addressed to an individual, and so actually, if you think about it, is the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and of course the Song of Solomon as well. So there are plenty of books in the Bible that are one person talking directly to another, as it were. I think it is unique, though, because it is an essentially private request from the author to the receiver of the letter about one particular issue. Oh, and it also contains a joke, a Pauline joke, which I think is very rare. Um, I have to say, you mustn't hold your breath. It's not a rib tickler. Uh, on the upside, however, it's not about sport, so that's good. But we do need to think about the force of this letter. We need to think a little bit about the, the context of it. We need to imagine the situation. Sending a letter across the continent in Roman times was no simple thing, especially for a poor private citizen, uh, and particularly for one such as Paul, who was under a form of house arrest in Rome. Someone would have to take it personally. And from Rome to Asia Minor, because Philemon lived near Colossae, was a considerable journey, both arduous and dangerous. So there's got to be a good reason for it. I have a friend uh, called Darren, and he used to lodge with me. He now lives with his family. Uh, this was in Oxford. He now lives with his family in Australia, which sounds fantastic. Lucky for him. Uh, but then he is Australian, so that's a downside, really, isn't it? Anyway, we communicate fairly regularly. Uh, normally, it's one of us gloating to the other one about a particular sporting triumph of one nation over the other, and that's mostly inconsequential stuff, uh, except, of course, at the moment, when it really matters a great deal. Um, but imagine if I was sitting at home one day, there I am sitting there, and there's a knock on the door, and a man stands there and says, oh, Hi there, David, I'm Bruce, uh, and I'm a friend of Darren's, and I have a letter to you from him. And he thought, Darren thought, that I should deliver it in, per, uh, in person. So uh, I've walked uh, until I could hitch a ride into Sydney and I caught a bus to the airport and then I caught a plane I landed at Heathrow. I've lost my baggage uh, and now I've uh, caught a, a bus here and I've walked the last couple of miles and here I am and here's the letter. 
And of course, I would ask, well, why on earth didn't he just email it or pop it in the post? Well, says Bruce, he thought it was quite important, so he asked me to make the journey. Now, I wonder how seriously I'm going to take that letter. I would open it with trembling fingers to discover the contents. Was there some dark tragedy in Darren's life? Even darker than losing the ashes, possibly. Had he struck gold and was wanting to come, me to come over and share the bonanza? You see, the more trouble that is taken over a communication, the more important it is. And if you disagree with that, then I suggest you try emailing your Valentine next February and see what response you get. For this letter, Paul sent a man called Tychicus. And of course, he sent along the object of the letter, Onesimus too. So there were two postmen. And it would have taken weeks or months for it to arrive. So clearly, Paul thought this was hugely important. And we can be pretty certain that Philemon would have thought that it was pretty important too. But that in itself, the importance, of, uh, the importance to the letter writer and the receiver, of course, is not a reason for it to become part of Scripture. Uh, we know from Colossians that, in fact, Paul sent at least three letters on this trip. There was the letter to the Colossians, there was this letter to Philemon, and there was a letter to Laodicea as well. But that letter didn't make the canon of Scripture. In fact, it seems to have been lost pretty much straight away. So why is this one in the Bible? Why is this almost a begging letter in Scripture? Well, normally there seems to be uh, three or so reasons for bits of Scripture being there. Uh, one is that they're a revelation about the nature of God. Two, they might be a teaching about our relationship with God in all the three persons. And three, they might be about teaching about our relationship or our relationships with each other. And quite often, Scripture does all three at once. And in fact, by implication, anything that reveals the nature of God will point us to truths about our relationship with him and with each other. However, in this instance, I think it is uh, reasonable to suggest that Philemon is not written directly to reveal a particular truth about the nature of God. So we need to look at it to see what it reveals about our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. In answering those two questions, I trust we will find the reason that Philemon is here and what it can teach us. So let's just have a quick look at the structure and the content of the letter, and then we'll have a look at its significance uh, for us today. So the content, what's the letter about? Well, it's actually a very simple thing. It's about a request by Paul to Philemon to accept back a runaway slave called Onesimus. The structure of the letter is very Pauline. You start with greetings in the first three verses, uh, a general greeting uh, to the particular people uh, that it's addressed to, three people, in fact. Uh, it's assumed, I think, by most that uh, Epiphia is the uh, wife of Philemon, and Archippus is a fellow missioner who worked with Paul in the area that Philemon lived, in the Coloss uh, Colossi and Ephesus area. Then there's a prayer, and it's a thanksgiving for the receivers of the letter, and a prayer on their behalf, and that's verses 4 to 7. And again, this is quite Pauline. Paul often reveals a lot about what he wants to say 
in his initial prayer, in his epistles. And then there is the body of the letter, the request to Philemon. And that takes us from verses 8 to 22. Of course, there is a subsidiary request in verse 22. Get a room ready, because I'll be coming soon. But the main request is to receive Onesimus. Then there's greetings from mutual friends and the closing prayer. And that's it. It really is that simple. Let's focus on the request. So the first is 8 to 21. What do we know about Philemon? He's a wealthy and important man, clearly. He obviously has a big house if he can prepare guest rooms. And the local church meets in his home. So he's a significant person in the local Christian community. Paul also tells us that his faith is a very practical one and he supports both the church and the mission work. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, he writes in verse 7, because you, brother, has refreshed the hearts of the saints. It's an interesting line, that, isn't it? Refreshed the hearts of the saints. Philemon was obviously someone who had gifts in supporting others whether that was uh, financially or in other ways, we don't know. But he had that gift and he exercised it. And later, of course, Paul asked very specifically for him to use that gift again for Paul in accepting Paul's request. How about Onesimus? We know that he is a slave of Philemon who has run away. And somehow he has met up with Paul in Rome. We don't know whether that was deliberate or accidental. We don't know if he ran away to Rome and bumped into Paul, or whether he ran away to Rome to be with Paul quite deliberately. Uh, Paul would have been living under a form of house arrest, so actually he would have been quite free in his associations. He probably had a little community around him, and we know who some of them were, because they're outlined uh, in verse 24. Um, and it's clear that Onesimus became an important part of that community. Paul was probably not restricted too much. He would have had a Roman guard in attendance, probably. But Onesimus has clearly become someone very special to Paul in his life in Rome. He calls him his son. He calls him dear to his heart. And now Paul is sending him back uh, with Tychicus and a letter to his old master. It's not clear whether Paul is actually asking Philemon to manumit, to free Onesimus as a slave, to actually release him from slavery. In verses 16 and 17, we have the body of the actual request. You might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean Paul is asking Philemon to free him, in fact, it uh, probably means, or it may mean, uh, that he is asking him not to treat him like he would treat, or it was traditional, to treat slaves that had run away. It helps uh, to understand a little bit about how slavery works in this context. Uh, theologians seem to be split down the middle as to whether actually uh, Paul intended Philemon to free um, Onesimus or not. There are, in fact, Philemon was used by both sides of the argument that was going on at the time 
of the decision to abolish slavery in this country. Christians used uh, Philemon on both sides of that argument, and subsequently in America, when that same debate was had, again, Philemon was used on both sides of the argument, those that wanted to maintain slavery and those that wanted to abolish it. Slaves in the Roman world um, and culture were often the glue, actually, that held the empire together, that held areas together. Within the context of the master-slave relationship, they were often very highly regarded and often very powerful. The slaves of the emperor, for instance, ran the administration of the empire and were ceded a lot of power. And, of course, we know that in older cultures that was true as well. The Bible himself... Uh, the Bible itself uh, actually reveals that to us in the story of Joseph. We have an insight into the way the Egyptians used slaves. It wasn't that dissimilar. If you remember, Joseph initially was made a slave in the house of Potiphar. And before too long, he was in charge of that house. He was still a slave, but he was given responsibility and power. We are not told anywhere in Genesis that that condition of slavery that Joseph was in was ever changed we're not told he became free. We were just told that the Pharaoh used him in other governmental positions. And it is quite possible that Joseph retained that slave status all his life in Egypt. We don't know, but it is possible. And of course, if you look further down the line in that story, when the whole of the nation of Israel subsequently were enslaved, for many Egyptians, that would have been a very natural thing. They were the children of slaves. Slavery was something you inherited. Slavery was something you were born into as well as coerced into. It was also something in the Roman world you could choose to enter into as well. If you were heavily in debt, you could choose to enslave yourself as a way of paying that debt back. The key, however, is that no matter what the relationship was, slavery was ownership. Slaves were owned in the same, exactly the same way as we would consider ownership of, say, a stick of furniture or a car. And they were owned to be useful. That's why you had them, for their use. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is the joke. In verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Boom, boom. I told you it wasn't a rib tickler. It might help you to understand, though, that Onesimus means useful. So Paul is making a pun here. He is making a pun of Onesimus' name. Onesimus ceased to become useful when he ran away. His value was gone. In the Roman world, if you ran away as a slave, if you were caught, you were charged with theft. Theft of property, to wit yourself. And that is the context in which this letter is being played out. Paul could well be simply asking Philemon, receive your slave back, but do not treat him as property. To be now tortured and probably killed, which was the normal thing that happened to slaves. It's quite possible that Philemon stole things with him. Paul, after all, says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Slaves often did. It was their way of surviving. They would steal household goods too. They were then subsequently tortured in order to reveal where they, uh, that, those goods might be or uh, to find out if there were any left. 
The point is that Paul is asking Philemon here to change the relationship he has with Onesimus. The consistent tone of Paul's teaching is that slaves and masters should focus on honoring Christ Jesus through their relationship rather than necessarily to abandon that relationship. So in 1 Corinthians 7 we read this, each one should remain in the situation he was when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Brothers, each man has responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. Now that passage must never be taken out of context to condone or prolong abusive relationships. That we must be very clear on. But Paul's point in that passage and many others is that, is that how we live our relationships with each other and with God is of the ultimate importance. If we are doing everything we can to live in love and in the context of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, then all else becomes secondary. So it's a moot point as to whether Paul wanted manumission or not. This is not actually about slavery in that sense, this, uh, this letter. I was at Grapevine yesterday. I was asked to speak there up in Lincolnshire. And it's lovely being in that environment with Christians from all over coming together to celebrate and to worship God. Uh, the title of the talk I was asked to give was a question. Um, and it was, Are Disabled People Made in the Image of God? And as Philemon reads this letter from Paul, he is asked a very similar question, almost the same really, but just substitute disabled people for slaves. He is, asking, he, he is being asked really by Paul, Do you really believe that slaves are made in the image of God the same way as you and I? Can this slave who has done you wrong be reconciled to you as a brother in Christ? That is the question. And Philemon is challenged to make real in his relationship with Onesimus all that he knows in his head about being the new creation, the child of God, and the way we need to relate to each other. And Paul introduces himself in a very particular way in this letter. Almost as an example of this, he humbles himself before Philemon. He calls himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul could have written this letter, I'm the apostle, through me you came to living faith. You owe me, do this thing. He's very careful not to. Luther called it holy flattery, in fact. But what Paul actually says is, I'm a prisoner too. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He says it by implication, well, outright three times, and by implication four times in the letter. So it must be very important. Verses 1, 9, 13, and 23, he points to this out. He is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul is pointing out that actually, when it comes to ownership, we are owned by God. If we accept the death and resurrection of Christ... That is what holds us. That is what owns us. And this is not a, an uncommon feeling in the New Testament. Jude, Peter, and James all talk about being servants or bond slaves or slaves uh, to Christ. Paul does it uh, in Titus 2. And in Philippians and Romans, Paul talks about being a servant, a bond slave of Christ. It's a common theme. And Paul brings it out here through the use of the word prisoner. It offers us the same picture, someone who is owned by 
someone else. We are owned by the saving work of Christ, is what Paul is telling Philemon. In redemption we become his. We are prisoners to the grace of God. And it's in those bounds of grace that we find perfect freedom. We are called also to freedom in our relationships with each other. And Paul asked Philemon to live this freedom out in his response to the return of Onesimus. So what is the application for us here this morning? In a world, or certainly in our culture, where slavery, as was practiced then, no longer exists, although, of course, it does de facto exist in some parts of the world still today. And there are certainly people in this country who are, in effect, slaves. They have been trafficked. So let us not pretend that this is a problem merely that occurred uh, many years ago and now no longer is with us. But how about us sitting here this morning? I believe it is a besetting sin of our culture that we have substituted possession for relationship. We see what we have as more important than how we behave with each other. And so Paul's words to Philemon cut directly to the heart of what it is to be truly living the Christian life. We must be the light in our culture that reasserts that living in loving relationship with each other is the point of being human. Living in loving relationship with God and with each other is what makes us children of God. The ownership we must be concerned about is God's ownership of us. And all other forms of ownership need to be held lightly. The challenge to Philemon was to renounce his cultural instincts and make real the sacrifice on the cross that bought and paid for him, Philemon, in his relationship with Onesimus. And we face that challenge too. We may not own others in the same way, but through global economic relationships, there are many, many abused people, abused in order to provide us with the lifestyle we currently enjoy. We can substitute Onesimus for all the marginalized and the exploited in our society and abused, for all those abused and exploited here and across the world. Our duty to them is the same as the duty Paul was offering to Philemon in regard to Onesimus. There is no difference. We have common ownership in Christ. All men and women do. And we are all brothers and sisters and called to live in that relationship just because we cannot see these people, just because they are not close to us, does not mean we do not have that responsibility. Now, we don't know how Philemon responded. We don't know. But we have to ask, how are we going to respond to this challenge? How are we going to respond to this challenge in our relationships? How are we going to live out practically the call that we have from Christ to live in relationship with each other that reflects his love and his ownership of us? How are we going to live as brothers and sisters, not in the thrall of power relationships, not in the thrall of economic relationships? How are we going to live as Philemon is urged to live in relationship to Onesimus. As many of you know, I work with people with learning disabilities and we challenge churches to help people with learning disabilities that all preachers should be able to then give their whole sermon 
in a sentence uh, at the end, very simply. It's quite a difficult challenge. Uh, I'm now going to try it as I finish. So here's the sermon in pretty much one long sentence. Philemon tells us, one, that through the death of Christ we are owned by God, and two, that our practical relationships with each other need to reflect the equal value that God places on us. We are brothers and sisters and must treat each other as such. Amen. Is that one one sentence, really? (laughs) Thanks very much, David. Mission praise number 162. The Servant King, 162.